This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. It is time, though. It is Friday. It's 7.10. It's time to introduce the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. we got two A-listers tonight, two of our favorite guests, bringing them both in together. Oftentimes, we, we split them up so they can... You know, help someone who's a newer victim. Uh, not tonight. We brought them in together. Uh, to my left, to your left on the radio, Mike Fortune from Cable 14. Michael, thanks for coming in. Hey, good to be back here. Thank you. And to your right on the radio, another one of our favorites from irkedfreelance.com, Scott Urquhart, formerly of CHCHTV. Thank you, sir, for coming oh, in. No problem, Scott. I really enjoyed coming in. Thanks. So one of the big stories this week that has caused great consternation on council Less so, well, I don't know about less so. Certainly, counselors got bent out of shape about this for one particular reason, because they seem to be cut out of the loop. We're not going to talk about whether they, about the counselors' grievances. But it was all about the first Ontario Centre and this report that is going to be coming down the road about what to do with it. Now, we are going to, for the point, for the purposes of our discussion tonight, go on the assumption that the leaks have been correct. And the leaks that we've heard so far are... Three options, really. Do nothing to upgrade the place. $70 million to reduce it to 8,000 seats and make that 8,000-seat arena a really, really nice, smaller place. Or 250, did I say 70 million? 70 million, not yep, 70,000. 70 70, uh, I, I thought yeah. for a second for I said. Bowl. Yeah. 70 million to do the lower bowl or 250 million to do the whole shooting match and create a quote-quote, world-class venue in the downtown. Scott, I'll go to you first. What what would you think we should do? What will we do? What's the right answer? Take it wherever you want to go. What, what's what's Gosh, the answer out of this? I, I'm afraid to even speculate on this, but um, I, I think, in my mind, the middle option, the option B, uh, the $70 million retrofit, is probably the most logical option for the city of Hamilton at this point, that's for sure. I don't see us uh, creating an arena that's going to draw a professional sports team in any time in the near future. So $250 million, considering what else the city is dealing with, uh, seems way, way, way out of reach. But I'm afraid that if we go for that middle option, we'll we'll end up with something like uh, happened to the city hall design. They uh, looked at $90 million rebuild of city hall, and we got exactly the same building we had before, only newer and cleaner. Mm. So I, I'm I'm really concerned about what does the $70 million entail? Where are we going? I, I thought the new $90 million city hall included gold-plated toilets for the yeah. mayor and <laughs> yeah. for the rest of council. Yeah. The first time I walked in as a reporter, I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mike, what do you think? You know, I, I think as a city, we have to find out what do we really want to do with that area? There's been so much talk about us wanting to be an NHL team. I said this on City Matters on Doug Fairway show. Get over it. Not happening. We're never going to be an NHL city. So scrap the $250 million. Okay. Um, I, I do see council at actually not taking some responsibility on this. I think they're going to continue to defer and defer probably to 2018, push it off to another council. Sure. That's Pull the Kathleen Wynn hydro yeah. plan. Mm-hmm. That's what they're known for. Um, and, and that's that's not to be a little dig or a grudge towards anyone there. The, the $70 million, like you're saying, Scott, I think seems to make the most sense. But at what point do we realize or is that area going to actually be used for? Michael Anlauer is a very smart businessman. And he has already lost... He's the owner of the Bulldogs, by the mm-hmm. way. He has lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. At some point, I would think he's going to have to pull the plug 
and move somewhere else. And then we're without a dog and pony show and a full-time tenant at this lower bowl, um, $70 million potential build. What do you do then? Well, here is this not supposed to be a convention center, it, conference well, that's, center? That's included. Why, why are we not bring? Why is the boat show at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum? Why is it not down at Cops First Ontario Center? Why are we not doing more things down there? And then you also have the added element of having to deal with Core Entertainment, Global Spectrum, who runs and manages the place. There are so many moving parts on all of this. I honestly think the whole thing is going to get blown up just like the LRT is. But here's the, here's the challenge to this. And, and, and when I asked you, I, you know, I, I threw it out there as a very broad thing. And I'm in agreement with both of you. The, the, the correct answer, I believe, would be let's reduce it down to a manageable number, eight or 9,000, mm-hmm. and live with that. And you know what? There's going to be two or three or four concerts a year maybe that we can't do. Although, if we recall, the Ticats have in their lease that they can have a number of concerts at Tim Hortons Field. So maybe some of the summertime things. But the problem is we don't have $70 million. So we're left with now two options, which is you let the place run down until it becomes completely obsolete, or you find $70 million that we don't have and that Councillor Sam Marula and Councillor Donnie Skelly and others have pretty much shown they are not interested in finding. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the middle ground is in this. I don't know, I don't know how you find the, it, with one exception, you, and, and Councillor Skelly was on here this week, would, if the city would ever consider selling that building to private interests. Mm-hmm a consortium or Mike Landlauer and somebody else and let them do it, but then it's not in the city's hands anymore. And that may not be a bad thing, actually. Um, Private, I I think it is getting to the point where if that building is going to survive and thrive, it's going to have to be turned over to private hands. And I'm not one to say those kinds of things, as you know, Scott, but Mm -hmm. um, the the shape it's in now and the configuration that it is. If you can't keep it up. Yeah, yeah. It's irresponsible to say we're to just going to hang on to it, on to it until it just falls because. down. Yeah. yeah, but again, you're you can sell the building to a private group. That's fine. But as we talked about, and I think you even mentioned it on Doug Fairway's show, you have Global Spectrum, which still is very involved in that First Ontario Arena, bringing well, the concerts in. They so you'd have to get rid of them completely. No, as well. not necessarily. Yeah. No, they'd not, have to chip in maybe. Or Comcast is a huge corporation. They may be interested in buying the place or being part of the the group that would take it over there. They also own buildings, mm-hmm. so they're not just a management company. So maybe that's what happens. You sell it to them, and let them be now the masters of keeping the place. And up. that's a great piece of education that I wasn't aware of. And I'm sure most of your listeners didn't know that easy e- either. So now Comcast is not stupid though. They're going to want a heck of a bargain on this. Of thing. course they were. Look yeah. what happened with when Roger Center was Skydome. How much did the province build Skydome for? 50 million at the time, I think it was. And then it ended up costing over interest and everything else. exponentially more than that. And then when Paul Beeston and the other people who were involved with the Blue Jays bought it, they got it on cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. But that's a very close example to what we're talking about here. You had a building that the city could not afford to manage and keep up as it was. So you either let it run down till it's useless or you take a little less than you wanted to and you keep it viable in private hands. And a lot of people will blanch at that. Do you, I mean, do you disagree that there will be a lot of people who will say, we can't sell this to private people. They're ripping us off. The rich guys are ripping us off again. Well, you, you may get that, but 
like you say, sober second thought would tell you this is the sensible thing to do. Uh, like you say, it's irresponsible to just leave it and do nothing. Uh, we've had, what, 25, maybe 30 years, a good run. 30, yeah, 32. 32 1985 years. it started, yep. Yeah, out, out of that building, we've had a, a pretty good run on the city side, uh, giving it up after this point. There's no no shame in that, I don't think. Yeah, it's not a five-year <clears throat> money waste. Look no. at the economic spinoff. If you do bring professionals in that know how to run these buildings properly, you bring in the crowds, and then who knows what's going to be happening with the school and all that in there. you got the LRT coming in. New little businesses, new little restaurants are going to pop in. It could be very beneficial for the city to say, you know what, thank you. We don't want to lose anymore. You guys run it. And then you start getting your tax dollars and all the other little things that are coming in to make Hamilton that vibrant downtown that everyone has wanted for so many years. The only caveat that I, the only thing I would demand if I was having any say, if we were going to sell it to a private enterprise, the only thing I would say is, if we're going to sell this to you, you must, for some period of time, let's say 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, there must be an arena on that site. Okay? So someone can't buy the thing and then go, oh, sorry, going to knock it down and put in condos. Yeah, yeah. All right? We'll sell it to you, but it must, you can do whatever you want to it, but it must be an arena. Arena or entertainment complex? Something. 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 something, Just not, you can't just knock it down and put houses. Houses or a condo or something there. Look, if you want to knock it down and build a Madison Square Garden type of thing where you've got an arena in the basement, a conference center above it, and 15 or 20 stories of condos above that, sure. Go for it. No problem. Mm-hmm. That that actually would be a brilliant mm-hmm. idea. If I mean, I, it would cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I would have no problem with that, but I just would not want to see them sell it and then get caught with their pants down because the rink, that, the concert venue rink, whatever, mm-hmm. is no longer it's there. Gone, yeah. That would be a mistake. But And... You know, the the one thing about it is we saw even the the, the Arcals, especially the Arcals, mm. bring over 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. I don't know, too, too big a concert for some acts or, or you know, too big uh, uh, a facility in, in some cases. Too small if we go down to 8,000. We, you know, risking not seeing some of the, the bigger names along the way. Well, and, and the, bill, the lower bowl right now holds roughly 9,000. If you put people on the floor, then you can add another probably. couple thousand probably. Yeah. And the plan, I guarantee you that whatever plan took over, private boxes are a key component of it. That, that, is, yeah. that is one of the driving things. So now you put private boxes ringing. Somehow you raise the roof, do whatever, and private boxes are ringed all around. There's an extra couple thousand people because you've got 10 to 12, mm-hmm. 15, per 20 box. people per box. Mm-hmm. So... You're right, Scott. You may not be able to handle the Paul McCartney's or the Garth Brooks, but 95% of the concerts that you do have here, you could probably still handle. And right now with the way the setup is, I believe for a lot of the concerts is they curtain off the Zamboni section anyway. So you're, you're chopping off a good chunk of seats there anyway. So I don't know what the capacity is for a Taylor Swift concert, but it's not the full 19,000 or 17,000 that it holds either. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. It's no, you can put in, uh, like 16 or 17, something like that, but it's not. And and that's with the people on the floor Floor, as well. And the modern buildings, they can do things like, put it this way, I would not expect that if this was ever to happen, that they were going to retrofit this somehow. This would not, I would hope, Scott, you use the example of City Hall. Yeah. My expectation would not be that we're simply going to 
you know, they, they changed all the seats in the lower bowl to blue instead of all those checker colors. Mm-hmm. We're not just talking about changing the seat color and putting some paint on. This is a significant huge. change yeah. to upgrade the facility. And that would change how the stage could get set up and how much space certain things would take and all that stuff. If it didn't, well, then why are we even talking about this? If it's a paint job and putting up some new bathrooms, why are we even talking about this? It's got to be more than that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like you say, I think they, they need to take the, the top ring pretty much right off the building mm-hmm. and uh, redo that completely with boxes and uh, other amenities up there. Uh, 8,000 seats is almost perfect for a figure skating event, for OHL hockey, yep. or things of that nature. It, you know, it'll be full and busy. At that have you, have you either? Go ahead, Mike. I I, I still don't think you're going to get eight thousand for an OHL Bulldogs game unless it's a Memorial Cup game seven. That's Here's the thing: Have either of you mm. ever been to Winnipeg? Yeah, sure. No, Winnipeg does not have Winnipeg's arena. Was I don't know if they've expanded it since they got the NHL team. It was fifteen thousand roughly. It was the smallest rink I think in the NHL. But there are a ton of big big hotels and big apartment buildings right around it. And it sort of blends into the community. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, if you were to do something like that, what we suggested, where you sell it to a private interest mm-hmm. and they were to tweak it and put eight or nine stories of condos as part of the arena building. Now you've got all these extra people who are downtown right there with Jackson Square. There's lots of different possibilities if it were to go to private enterprise. Because I just, to get back to where we started, I can't see any way the city is going to say, we want to spend 70, even $70 million on this thing. I can't see that because there's no money coming from the province and no money from the gov- from the feds. And they're scrambling to cut uh, costs now as it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're living and dying by cutting 23 people. That's killing us. <laughs> yeah. How are we going to find $70 but, million? But then, you hire, but then you hire six more people. They, yeah, well, that's... Two days later. Anyways, right. a whole other ballgame. That is. That, that, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the, Sorry. The city doesn't quite understand the concept of cutting yeah. very well. Um, but no, it, I, I just, I can't see any way that they're going to part with $70 million to do this. So to me, the only answer is sell it. It's the only it, answer. It makes the most sense. It, it truly if does. If you can find a buyer. If, if yeah. you can find a buyer and it, it is going to be picked apart by lawyers and they're going to try to get it for rock bottom price. Which, as I say, given that it's been there for over 30 mm-hmm. years, it's, it's not we've, necessarily we've, terrible. No, and we've had a good run. I, I still don't think, oh, I've, I've said, I'll keep saying, we're not a hockey town. I think we have to give up that dream as well. So you're saying at least keep the arena there. I don't think we have to keep it there for sports. You want to bring in the Globetrotters or something. You want to do, you know, open skates or something. But we're not a hockey town. Hate to say it. If you had an, well, we're out of time. If you had an 8,000 or 9,000 seat arena, you're right. The Bulldogs are not going to fill that up. But the one thing it will do, maybe, is right now there is an optical thing of walking into First Ontario Centre for a Bulldogs game. And you see the whole place. And in your mind... There is never any urgency to buy a ticket. Not at all. Never. I can go because you look around, you go, wait a second, look at the whole of, if at least it was just the lower bowl, maybe even in some people's minds, they say, oh, if I want a ticket, I better call ahead because it could be, could be tough to get a ticket. And then you push people into some urgency and you get some supply and demand and Keynesian economics and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it happens, but at least it's a possibility, but we shall see. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.
Scott Urquhart in studio along with Mike Fortune and myself. Those two guys are making up the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening. I'm just here for the ride. Just listening to them preach. It's, 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 what, we need. it's what we do on Fridays. We bring in bright people and we Can let I them... Can I get an amen on that? That's yeah. right. <laughs> let's, let's stick with the downtown, though, for a minute because there was another story that was on the front page of today's Spectator and it was about tall buildings. There are some people now who are very concerned with the way the downtown is going to look. They don't want us to have buildings that are too tall that will throw off the symmetry or the feel or the, I'm not sure what it is exactly, of the downtown. And I find this a little puzzling. I'll be honest with you. I find it a little confusing because we have so many people saying all the growth should not be spread to the sprawl, should not be going out. It should be in the city. But then if we're going to do that, we're going to have to have places for this density to go and that's up. And I don't quite understand if what they're saying is that all buildings should be uniformly 15 stories high or whatever else. But do either of you, would either of you have an issue if someone came forward and said, I want to build a 65 story building in downtown Hamilton that would essentially be a landmark? Would would, he, would either of you have an issue with that? <laughs> Not one iota. I think it, I think it would make the city landscape uh, from a distance from across the shores in Burlington, all that. I think it would look fantastic. You know, we we want to. We're talking about being this modern city. Let's modernize it. Let let let's bring in the wait, big wait, 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 buildings. Hold on, though, Mike. Yeah. Every what? time, what? Every, every building, every discussion we Uh-oh. have in the city about the about the buildings is that we just can't tear any down. Oh. We don't want to modernize. <laughs> we want to go back in time. Heritage designations. It's look all out. about heritage. We don't want to build anything new. We no, want we to heritageify everything. We want to keep the facades and you know keep everything simple. Yet we want the best downtown. People have to make up their minds. What do you want around here? I think there's a place for heritage, though. For of sure. course, of course. There there certainly is, but yeah. then you can also you should also have that heritage work for you. So keep the beautiful facades, but then build something more modern behind it and, and get people into those units and buildings so you're getting business and tax dollars and people walking through our downtown. And if you got to put in a 50, 55, 65-foot uh, building over time and you bring more people downtown, then go for it. Because they're all going to be riding the LRT, right? We talked yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't really have a problem, you know, uh, with tall buildings. I don't think that's the issue. I, I'm just on the top of my head. I'm thinking the reason that people don't like it um, and resist tall buildings in the core is because Hamilton, in a large way, is still a very small city. Mm. It, it's a very it's a very big small town. It, it's the yeah. the biggest small town in Canada. Yeah, and um, if you start throwing up, you know, high buildings all over downtown, it's it's a city then, and you you get the sense when you go downtown Hamilton, you're still in a a kind of a you know small community. Somebody pointed out though in the paper today, uh, and it was a, it, again it was a great piece that was written was when you look at a skyline, if you see cranes and you see construction, it screams to people that this is some place that is... It's happening. It's happening it's where here. you want to be, yeah. And I... The other... Another point that was made in the piece um, was we don't really in this city have a a landmark building. And you look at, for example, Mississauga and the idea of the... you know, Do you know the one I'm talking about, the Marilyn Monroe yeah. building? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you look at that and say, yeah. <laughs> how would that look if it was right in the middle of downtown Hamlet? Like, it would be something that you would say, oh, that's... Hamilton, I, I I don't know that even a lot of people from here, if you were to block out some of the peripheral stuff and just show them a silhouette of our 
skyline if they would know it was Hamilton. I've always thought the Century 21 building was kind of our our iconic building downtown. It's, it's Landmark Place. Isn't that the name of it? Is that what it is now? I always so what do you mean we don't 21. have a Landmark? We have Landmark yeah, Place. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, I know I know exactly what you mean. And how great would it be to have something that we could call our own? Hey, maybe we call up Trump. build a Put a building in downtown Hamilton for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and have it go bankrupt. Yeah, there, I, there you go. It, yeah. just, it just strikes me as odd that we have apparently so many people who are worrying about this at the same time that we are demanding that the sprawl stop and that people come to the downtown. We fix the downtown. To me, you, it's one or the other. You either want yeah. people here and that means up or you want people out and that means lower. Yeah, that most definitely you're right. It's going to have to go up if we're going to increase density in the downtown core. There's no other choice. So uh, the question is how high? And we know, I mean, do we limit it to 30 stories? Do we, do we go to 60? What do we do? Yeah. But again, uh, and look, I, I would say that when someone, if there was, if, if Mike Fortune was a developer and he came forward and said, I want to build a 70-story apartment building or condo building in downtown Hamilton, I don't necessarily rubber stamp it. The one thing I want to at least see is what it's going to look like and make sure it's somewhat attractive. And I mean, attractive is in the eye of the beholder. I understand that. But just a rectangle rising to the sky doesn't necessarily inspire great visions of aesthetic. And this is where you would have to have open and honest communications and maybe put some round tables together, get the community involvement. But And then I know you, the more hands you put in the pot, the more arguments you're going to have. But you should have some discussion in regards to what will look beautiful, what will make downtown even look nicer with a, a properly outfitted building on the facade. I think and one thing that, uh, that scares people off is looking at downtown Toronto where there's condo upon condo, back to back to back to back, and the guy who had the fabulous lake view only last year is now looking into his neighbor's window. Yeah, yeah and, and nobody wants that. Right? And they're that will that. probably happen with the Pier 7, Pier 8, because you're, I'm assuming they're going to be putting some nice buildings down there, and all those people that are already, you're right, they're going to lose their their pristine view of the lake probably. But, but Toronto by the same, and I know we're never supposed to say anything nice about Toronto. That's the, <laughs> uh, that's the rule in Hamilton, but Toronto has a skyline that is familiar. Toronto has a skyline that is recognizable. There are some buildings in Toronto. I mean, if you look from the lake and you see the CN Tower and you see Rogers Center and you see the Royal York Hotel and you see a few other things that are around there, you know that it's Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's instantly recognizable as Toronto. And New York is the same. And I'm not saying we are New York or Toronto or Chicago, but it, it doesn't hurt to shoot for the moon. <laughs> it doesn't hurt to say we would like to be recognizable as well. We would like to have our skylines. So people see it and they go, oh, it's Hamilton. Well, the other question is how do you necessarily fill it? I mean, for, for many years. Uh, fill, you mean a giant building? Yeah, for many years, uh, especially throughout the 90s. I mean, there was, there was floors and floors and floors and floors of office space going begging in this city, and he couldn't give it away. And now if you're going to plop down, what, 5, 10, 30, 40, 50-story buildings, are you sure we've got the capacity to do that? Will we be able to fill those, or are they just uh, a waste of space? No, that's a very point. fair point, but is that the responsibility or the concern of the city, or is that of the developer who's going to be stuck holding all this empty? You would like to think. Now, uh, the city no, bears the consequences of that. True. Then, you know. Although nobody nobody says every rich person is smart, although most of them have got there because they are. But I'm thinking that if a guy's going to, or a woman is going to put up a 50-story condo building, they've probably got some idea that they can fill it. Some, yeah, I would like to think that would be 
something that would be thought through. And just by our population growth alone over the next 20, 25 years, you know a lot of those uh, units will be full. You know, that's just, it's... it's Based on what's happened in the last number of years? Sure, sure. And and if Toronto, as long as the Toronto... Uh, we had uh, Marvin Ryder on here earlier this week talking about the, the housing bubble that the CEO of RBC says Toronto's ready for a burst, that it's not going to... But if it doesn't, yeah, everyone's going to continue to flow out here and where do they go? And and not even where do they go, Mike. It's We're talking now, and Marvin was explaining this as well, that the people, the younger people who are living in Hamilton can't afford to stay in Hamilton. Correct. If you want, and we keep hearing people say, well, we need to, get, we need to be able to make f- housing affordable in the city. The way you make housing affordable is not simply by making government-controlled affordable housing. You create more units, which makes the supply go up, which then allows the prices to come down by themselves. It doesn't all have to be controlled and manipulated by government. The private the, the market can do it. Condos aren't that not that helpful. They are helpful for sure, but not that helpful in that quest because uh, condos now are designed with a certain price point in mind. And that price point is not necessarily uh, starter price point. Appropriate, you know? yeah. No, but if you were going to put up a 40 or 50 story condo building and inject that many new units into the city, you would know, I would think, I would think you would then say, we probably can't charge top of the market except for the penthouse or the top floors. There have to be a variety of price points here or else we're going to have a lot of empty condos. That sounds like smart marketing. Uh, Phil writes in, Hamilton is long overdue for tall buildings. Let's start erecting some tall buildings, which would in turn create investment, jobs, tourism, and give our city an identity. Mm -hmm. I'm just, as I say, this whole thing started because I was just puzzled by the seeming contradiction that we want everybody to now live in our downtown. But we won't provide them with housing. (laughs) But yeah, but but the housing has to be limited to what we like as an aesthetic. And if you can't, Come so if you can't fit here and you can't go there, I just don't follow the complete logic. Well, another reason to to fight against sprawl and to increase the density downtown is uh, we've got, we've already got a three billion plus deficit dollar deficit infrastructure, uh, infrastructure deficit. and we cannot afford to keep reaching further and further and further out into the countryside. We can't keep it up. Well, and we need more taxpayers. Moving here so we can tax them without having to keep pillaging the people who are already existing here. They can't, we can't, Hamilton's one of the highest taxed people in Canada. We can't keep asking them for more and more. We need more people and businesses that we can then hit up for the tax dollars rather than going further into the pockets of the existing population. It's it's just that, it's that vicious circle, isn't it? It just keeps going around and around. And no matter who you talk to, if it's a politician or the fine people at the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, they all have their thoughts and ideas, but for some reason, we all, they all can't kind of come together and, and make all this flow nicely. But you say it's a circle that goes around and around. Think of what we were talking about last segment. We're talking about could an 8,000 seat arena work? Mm. Well, if you now have many more thousand people in the downtown who are buying food at at restaurants that are popping up and then have, and then the restaurant people have money and they're living in the downtown and you need entertainment and you know, the whole thing just feeds itself. It does. I think my, my, my basic, very passive knowledge of economics would say, this is how it works. This is how it should work. Yeah. That's how it should work. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily always, but that is how it should work. Yeah. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML.
we've sort of segued from one to another. Well, let's do that again. We're going to talk about buildings again for a second, but not in Hamilton. Michael Jackson, who is long deceased now, his Neverland Ranch is back on the market again. They've tried to sell it, I don't know, three or four times now, and the price keeps dropping. It started, I think, at like $160 million, and then it went to $100 million, and now it's 69 or $68 million or something. Someone's eventually going to get it for about $300,000. <laughs> um, if it gets down under five hundred, I may make a bid on it myself. Because uh, it's an absolute, if you look at the pictures, it's an unbelievable piece of property. Here's the thing, though. There were all kinds, as we all know, there were all kinds of allegations and stories, and I don't know that any of them were ever proven. I don't believe they were. I don't no. think they were, no. but there were a million allegations, and, and most, I think most people are, if not believing, then a little squeamish about the possibility of what happened here. And we have seen with other properties where bad things have happened that there is a sense that they need to be knocked down. We can't have the property there with the Bernardo house. It was, mm, it was destroyed. Flattened, yeah. Is that what we need to do with these things? Do, or is there some sort of obligation on us as a society when we, when something bad has happened in a building that we need to get rid of the building? Does that actually cleanse our psyche or our emotions or something? Does it do anything or is it just, what's the reason we do it and do we need to do it? Just because there's bad juju there? Is that well, kind of what it is? That's what some people would yeah. say. Like, again, the Bernardo house, yeah. I mean, t- horrifying things happened there. But if you had bought that house, and I, I and I hope I'm not disparaging anyone, it's certainly not my intent, but if you had bought that house, I don't think it means that you are a psycho killer as well. No. And I don't think the house caused anyone to kill anybody. It was Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka being pure evil. But we decided we had to knock that house down. It's just a constant reminder of what was there. That's that's the issue for everyone else. Yeah, and 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 the neighbors. You, you're a you're a new married couple. You move into this house, and and we probably shouldn't be talking about the Bernardo case. But if you did move into this house, but it's all, an example. All, of what we're all talking the neighbors about. would just be looking. You've had nothing to do with it, mm-hmm. but you would just always be eyeballed. Now, with that said, you know. I don't think you should knock down every single building. This was an extreme case, of and it course. was very close to home. But think about the number of, of deaths, specifically suicides, that take place in this city alone, probably in basements of many houses all around here. Are you going to start knocking all those houses down? But do not, don't people, isn't there something, and I may be wrong, in the real estate you, world that you're supposed to be able to find out? Because there are some people who will not buy a house if there's been a death or a dead body I in that house. I do believe yeah. that you do have to disclose if there has been a death. Uh, I, no, I don't know. Only if asked. O- only if asked. Yeah. And if it's a suicide, I don't know. I, I don't know. This would be great if we had a real estate guy. Because I'm looking him. again at the, at the idea, and we're launching into this because of the Neverland thing, but... The, the price keeps going down and down and down, and that could be because the real estate market in San Rancho or whatever it's called, California, is poor, or it could be because a lot of people are just creeped out and going, oh, I don't really want to live there. But if, if you can afford to purchase that amount of land, you have enough cake in your, in your you bank think. to probably wipe it out and build whatever you also wanted. Reconstruct a whole new. I suppose. I suppose, but it's a pretty lavish setup you've got there. There'll be a lot of stuff to have to undo and do again. And then why would you buy that particular piece of land? Why not just buy some blank land somewhere else? Start fresh. Location, 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 (laughs) though. Maybe it's, I don't know exactly where it is. Maybe it's in the best location around and you just want that property. But what's the criteria? I guess the question is what would be the, 
the Bernardo house is, in my mind, kind of your worst case scenario. Yes. And and I think we all agree. And again, in, in no way, I hope no one's interpreting this that we're somehow belittling this. Not not in any way, shape, or form. Correct. That's the worst case scenario. What's the is something like this where kids may have been abused? Is this does this fall into the same category? Uh, I think we should probably just get rid of this so the memories are gone. Or do we say, no, there's no need to get rid of this because the house didn't make the person who buys it a pedophile or a whatever? No, I think it's up to the, to the individuals. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that wouldn't flinch at all with that. And if that's the case, then, you know, good for them, I guess. Uh, doesn't bother them, it doesn't bother them. But there are a lot of people who would feel very uneasy about it. Um, right behind me, on the street behind me in the, in, in the Sand neighborhood, there's a house, a relatively modest house, um, that's been on the market and, and sold. And uh, family's been living there, I think, probably close to a decade now. It's the site of an unsolved murder here in Hamilton. Hmm. And uh, every time I walk past it, I think about back to that story and, uh, you know, the crime that was committed there. And So I it's a reminder to you. Well, yeah. Occasionally I wonder, I wonder if the people who are living there now actually know what happened here. And, and I'm... It's, You're going to go knock on the door and no, tell them one day? <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. You know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I would probably feel a little creeped out. I, I would like to know the history of the house. You know, that that's just me. And I think if something like that was to have happened, I probably would say great looking house. But you know what? I'm a, my wife and I, we're kind of into that karma thing, you know, and just, you know, the EBGBs, you know, it's just it's it, it shouldn't be that way. But we're we're all wired a little differently. I would that's honestly, if I thought that a house where someone died and not I'm not one of those one of those chasers. I had on here about a year ago because the the house that was in the Amityville Horror, Horror yeah. which was it was the, the, the basis of it was real. There was a real story that was along those lines. And the house that was used in the movie was for sale. I don't know if it was the real house or not. Anyway, It was, yeah. Okay. Um, and again, lo- had a hard, hard, hard time selling it. But the part of the problem was they had so many people driving by all the time. So not only are you maybe buying a house where something terrible had happened, but you're also dealing now with tourists nonstop mm-hmm. taking pictures. I'm not one of those tourists. But if I could find a house, if I was in the market and I could find a house where someone had died and as a result, the price had gone through the floor and I was able to get a huge steal, bring it on. You're all over it. <laughs> no problem. I'm not, yeah. I'm not worried about ghosts. I'm not worried about whatever. Yeah. I, if I can get a great deal on a house and the walls Bad have been cleaned, or anything, no, yeah. bring it on. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but as we say, going back to our first example, there are, you're right, there would be exceptions. I, I would have been... I would have had a difficulty buying the Bernardo house Mm -hmm. because of what you said, because Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that even though I or you or whoever bought it didn't do anything wrong, you would get stink eye from everybody every time they drove by the house. And probably the house would get pelted with eggs and would get, Mm -hmm. even though it's not him in there anymore, that's a different story. But I don't know. I I can't figure out. I looked at the pictures. They have pictures online of the Neverland Ranch. And I got to tell you, if I had the money, it is Unbelievable, but it, it's a very particular kind of property. I mean, the market for something like that well, is very, very small to begin with. Exactly. You know, you don't uh, think there's a lot of people with sixty nine million bucks to spend on a ranch? Uh, it's a nice ranch. Might, there might be a few. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it is a, a particular kind of buyer that's going to want that sort of thing. And it is a little creepy. I'll be honest yeah. with you. It is a it's little, a little creepy. creepy. It is a little creepy. Yeah, a little weird. 
You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Lots of discussion, lots of reporting, lots of stories in the last little while about opioids and fentanyl and all these different things. And following a discussion today, experts are now saying that we shouldn't call users, even the users who are addicted to this, we shouldn't call them addicts because they are victims of a disease, they say, rather than addicts of a drug. They say that if you call them addicts, if you say that this is an addiction rather than an illness, it adds a stigma and a stereotype and a, you know, bad overall sound to it. What do you you think about not referring to drug addicts as addicts, but as victims of a disease? Um, I don't see it as a pathological disease. That's, um, uh, you know... Medically, I don't see it that way. Uh, it is an addiction, just like uh, cigarettes or alcohol or anything. You know, tobacco can be an addiction. I'm not is, sure. Is, is not being able to quit cigarettes a disease? No, that's, oh, not, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And the people who, who are addicts, I, I don't think their feelings are, you know, greatly hurt uh, by that, you know, term, uh, so why do we why do we try so hard then to because it's been for years now that there has been this assumption or accepted wording that if you are an addict to alcohol or whatever else that you have a disease is it is it a disease do you believe I mean, as people will say it's a disease but do you believe it's a disease it's oh, a tough question it, I know it, it's it, a tough yeah, question. I'm, yeah I'm trying I'm spinning right now because uh, you know I. I believe you. When it comes to cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs, you have a choice. You either choose to take it, smoke it, or drink it, or you don't. At the beginning, anyway, for sure. Whereas, if you have a a disease that is in you that is genetics, like autism or something like that, or if you catch tuberculosis, or you you you, you have no you have no control over that. So if you if you potentially have control over something and then all of a sudden you cannot control yourself anymore, you have an addiction. Therefore, you are an addict. I guess I guess the the argument would be that they don't have a choice. There, there's something wrong with um, your biology, your brain chemistry, whatever that prevents you from being able to resist this. But at some point, there was a choice, right? At some point, the first when you started, there was a choice. choice. So you may, I, I would not disagree with you that there, there are people who have addictive personalities for sure. Yeah. And once they launch into this, they get locked into it. I don't, I'm not disputing that for a second, mm-hmm. but there was a choice at some point whether to start down and this you path. And see, you see people, you see TV shows, you know, intervention, and you can, if you, if you have the right mindset and if you can go to a doctor or go to family or friends and say, look, I really need help stopping. You can't overcome that and stop that. If you go to the doctor and say, look, I really don't want to have this disease anymore, pick A, B, or C, whatever we talked about. So, well, sorry, we can't fi- We can't do anything. That That's in you. you. We can't do anything about that. You have the choice for these other, what we're talking about. You, you can go and get help to try to get over it. And then if you continue to oh, sneak a drink here, smoke a cigarette there, you're an addict. Okay, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Apparently, all of us, every single person out there, uh, in their their brain structure or somewhere in their body, has an embolism. 
a tiny little capillary or vein that's just waiting to pop. It's a time bomb. And that's uplifting. Can, can, yeah. Can kill you. <laughs> yes. You know, can kill you instantly. Sure. But you don't know it's there and you live your entire life. And some people never have it go off. Now, is that the case with addicts? They don't know they're addicts. They have chemistry that's going to addict them to some substance. They don't know it's there. Is that like the little embolism that's just hiding uh, in your body somewhere? I, I could accept that. For sure, I could accept that, that there are things, there are areas that we cannot necessarily control. The, the, well, the diffi- would it be a disease then, though? But the difficulty I, ha- the difficulty I have with it, and, but where it gets real, and I'll get to why it gets really difficult. The, the difficulty I have is that if you came out of the womb already somehow addicted to something, and maybe the people, maybe the, the babies who are crack babies or whatever, maybe they do. I, I, who knows? You know, but here's the problem. Are you, can you be an addict to other things? Can you be an addict to fast food, right? Because there are people who have a genetic predisposition to being large, to to being obese. Their bodies just, you know, some people have a fast metabolism, some don't. Don't. That is your embolism. That's the part of you that you don't know when you start eating the food that that's necessarily your body but type. But again, you have a choice. But you do have a choice. To get in that car and drive and take out your debit card and purchase it and then eat it. So my here's here's the here's why I bring this question up. All right, I'm not the point of this discussion is not to insult or dump nope. on people who have what I would say still is an addiction. I still uh, that's it's not to insult them or put them down. Agreed. But if addiction and disease are exactly the same thing, why could a drunk driver who is an alcoholic not say I'm not the person who committed a crime here. I'm simply a victim who cannot control myself. I'm the victim of this accident rather than the cause of this accident. I have a disease that I can't. I have a disease. So if you're going to equate the two things, a pedophile who is caught molesting children could say, yeah, you know, this is bad, but this is, I'm the victim here. I have a disease that I cannot control, an addiction disease that I can't control. So how can you hold me responsible? Because you wouldn't hold someone responsible for having cancer. You wouldn't hold someone responsible for have, for catching malaria. So how can I be blamed for this problem? Because cancer is, is not an addiction. But that's what I'm saying. If you equate the two, you yeah. can say the same thing. You could say that your behavior is, is victimhood rather than criminal. Well, could you not look at the people out there who um, are, are prone to seizures? Um, there, we make laws all the time that prevent them from driving, prevent them from operating heavy machinery, prevent them from flying, that kind of thing. I don't know that you could say that uh, you know I, I'm I'm drunk. I'm, I'm a drunk. I'm addicted to alcohol. It's a disease. Well. We can legislate against diseases, and no, you can't just go out there and jump in the car and drive around. Yeah, I, someone with seizures, they come and they go. So you, but if you were an alcoholic, you could say, "Well, listen, I, I'm drunk all the time, and I don't know what I'm they, doing when I'm drunk because I lose control of my inability, whatever." I mean, I, I know what you're saying exactly. Yeah, they don't necessarily come and go, though. I mean, for a lot of people, they had seizures in their in their childhood, and that seems to have dissipated as they reach adulthood, but it's never gone and they can come back. No, but they're not having a seizure 24 hours a day. Whereas someone who was a blackout alcoholic could say, I didn't even know what I was doing. But the condition is still there. True. True. And, and so to your, what your point was in the original question, I'm drunk all the time, 24 hours a day. 
you have an addiction, because, well, you are an addict. Oh, no, no. I have a disease and therefore I can't stop. And therefore anything I do as a result of my disease, I am the victim here. See, that's the problem I have with quote, quote, experts equating the two things. I do believe that when you are an addict, there is, as Scott pointed out, there is something in your brain. You can't just shut it off. I don't, I don't believe that addicts could stop if they wanted to, but they just choose not to. I don't believe that. I think they could. Not all. Not all. I think no, the, not I think, all. I think I think the chemicals often have the use of the chemicals have changed something in a person's brain. It has physically changed the brain. It has now. It was your choice to put that in that caused the brain to change, but it changed the brain, and now the the brain is is wired differently than it would be for the average person. But then but you I, can also try to rewire your brain. Then you you can definitely try. I. You it, could say, but if I, look, if I've got lung cancer, some people who have lung cancer continue to smoke cigarettes. Right. And I, I'm looking at it a little bit differently when I'm saying in brain chemistry. I, I think that, that chemistry is already there to... Pre-existing. Pre-existing to, to make you um, sort of vulnerable to addictions. It, it's already in there. You know, it, it's in your system already. And so you happen to make the choice to pick A, B, or C. And that predisposed uh, condition is, is already there. And you just fire it up. That's all. To Mike's point, to Mike's point, if we continue to equate disease to addiction as they are one and the same thing, are we letting people who have addictions then off the hook by saying, no, you, you can't cure yourself. You can't make a change because a disease, I can't sit in my house. I, as a matter of fact, I've had malaria. True story. I've had malaria. I spent the summer in the jungle when I was 17 years old in Papua New Guinea and I got malaria. All right. It was no fun. But I was not able, when I was in the midst of that horrible experience, to go, okay, brain, no more malaria. Yeah. I, that was not something I was capable But if you're saying that the same two things, then you're saying there is nothing you could do for your addiction. But is there, okay, I see what you're saying with the, the malaria side of things. But can you not will yourself to be a positive thinker and to push yourself through this? Say, you know what? I'm not going to let this be uh, me, man. No, I, I, I'm I, down I, and out. No, I could I, not do that. I no. was, I was, okay. it was, it was one of those things. Now there may be some, if you had a cold, right? If you're suffering from the cold, that's a man cold, a man, a man cold. cold. A man cold. Yeah. If you're suffering from a man cold, you could probably get yourself out of it. Maybe, did maybe. He, did either of you two ever smoke? No. No. Okay. I, I smoked. Embarrassed to admit it. Kids, you're listening. Sorry, that's how you have to hear it from your father. I, I made some poor mistakes, um, and I smoked for quite a while. I won't get into the story of how I quit, but there were certain things that people were telling me, and one of the things that my mom kept telling me was, um, you don't want to get beat up by your enemy. You don't want to get in a fight and always get beat up. Every time you're having a cigarette, the enemy wins. So I rewired my brain to think. So I was able. I, I smoked for seven, eight years. I smoked kind of heavily. And I was able to quit because I got into a mental mindset of, I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to be, I don't want to lose all the time. So I've rewired. And that training has helped me with other things in my life to now know to have that strong mental uh, persona to, to put something aside. Don't eat bread for 60 days. Guess what? I can do it in a heartbeat now. Don't drink alcohol for 100 days because I push myself. So I truly believe if you have the right mindset, you can overcome things. It is, yeah, it, you know, it is really hard when I, when I listen, and I'm not an unsympathetic person, but I find it really hard to equate A and A. To me, addiction and disease, 
it's again, it's not. Be, I keep repeating what we're talking about. Today. I'm not belittling addiction. It's not an easy thing to overcome. But I just find it hard to say mm-hmm. the person who has cancer and the person who started drinking heavily and became an alcoholic are the same. I find that very hard. I, I, I really can't get myself to that point to then say, yes, you may be at the same point now, but you didn't get there through the same path. And therefore I can't, the cancer person, I could call a victim. I find it very difficult to call someone who is an addict a victim, that they're a victim of poor choices, perhaps, a victim maybe of the... What was the word? The embolism you said. The, 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 you the, pre, know, the predisposed, the, predisposed yeah. the metaphorical yeah. embolism in their brain, but they got themselves to that point somehow. And, and here's again where it gets really tricky. If you get some kind of cancer because you have eaten junk food for your whole life, see, it gets really, then mm-hmm. you start getting into something else that's really tricky now. Is it because of your bad food choices? I mean, we all do things. We all do things that are poor choices. Every one of us. Of course. Every yeah. one of us does. And to Mike's point, I think I think he's right. I think there are a lot of people who can uh, will themselves to some extent to stop from doing things, but there are many many others who just do not have that strength. Mm-hmm. Don't they cannot will themselves to do it for a hundred different reasons? Exactly. And um, I mean, do we do we call them? Do we say they have a disease because they they haven't got this? Does it excuse the behavior though? If you're no. not if you're not the addict right now. Okay, if you're not addict, victim, whatever you want to call it, and you are seeing people who are, and you are being told as the teenager coming up or whatever that, yeah, you know what, if you're an addict, you, it's just, it, you're a victim. Does that excuse the behavior by saying it wasn't, you're not responsible. Yeah. That wasn't you. That wasn't your fault. No, I know. I, See, I, that to me, that's where you really get into problems now. Because I do think we have to be responsible for our behavior and we can get ourselves. No, I agree. Yeah. If you jump out of a boat in the middle of the ocean. You may drown after swimming for a long, long time, but you ultimately put yourself into that horrible predicament. Mm -hmm. And to say, well, that wasn't your fault. Well, it was a poor choice that led you to be in that problem. It doesn't mean we're not sympathetic to the fact that you ran into that problem, but ultimately you have some responsibility to bear for this. Whereas I don't know that getting cancer or some other disease, you can say that. That you have the responsibility. Your fault, you know. Sometimes, but rarely. If you have lung cancer and you've been smoking four packs a day. Or working in an asbestos factory or a coal mine. There are times. There are times for sure. But I I find the topic fascinating because you'll be hearing a lot about this. I guarantee you this is going to be. Did we come to an answer? Do we call them addicts or not? I'm calling them an addict still. See, I'm, I still believe you call the person an addict, and I don't think that belittles them. I don't, I don't think, think it. So they would call themselves an addict. I'm an addict. That's what they would say. Well, they would what, say it. What happens when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous? What, what's, what's the thing they always say? Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm an, an alcoholic. Yeah. Okay, so if we want to say alcoholic, or I'm a drug, I'm a drug abuser, as opposed to the word addict, that's fine. But it's the same thing. It's still it, saying. It's me. That's who I am and that's what I am and that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think responsibility, honestly, I think responsibility is a huge part of huge. fixing yourself. If you can't say, if you say I'm the victim rather than I'm the cause and therefore I have yeah. to be the solution. I'm responsible for my own problems. Therefore, yeah. I will get myself out of, or at least try to get myself exactly. out of my problems. If I'm the victim, it's nothing to do with me. Exactly. I'm just an innocent bystander who happened to have the meteor fall on my head. Well, that's two different things. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. 
Bill Gates, we all know who Bill Gates is. He had a very interesting comment the other day. Uh, a guy who doesn't have to worry about money, let's be honest. But his comment was that any company, because we hear all about automation and robots and virtual intelligence and all this stuff and companies that are getting rid of jobs to get robots or automation. Every job, he says, that is replaced by automation or a robot, the company should have to pay taxes on that automation or that robot as if it was a person. So if I, if on this panel, if we decided, you know what, I've got to cut 30% of my workforce, Mike, I'm sorry, you're fired. Mm-hmm. I'm replacing you with a virtual intelligence robot. I still have to, as the company, I would have to pay Scott and pay taxes on him, but I would also have to pay taxes as if you were a human being. What do you probably, think about you'd that You'd probably idea? be a lot better off with that robot than me anyways, first off. <laughs> um yeah. Hey, what do you think about the idea, though? Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, wh- where where would it go? How would it make? Like, is the tax the tax would go to the province or to the state or whatever? Sure, I'm that's assuming? what he's saying. Essentially, he's saying, look, the person not only is okay. the money now not the person who gets fired not able to pay their taxes, right. but the company has fewer people to pay, and therefore there's less per- personal tax and corporate tax and everything else. So. All through the system, the money goes. I'm down. just trying to picture how how does this how does this benefit the company? How does this not benef- at all? How does this benefit the full circle? Well, not at all. No, There's no guys, benefits to it, it. It's a big picture story. It's exactly. society. Yeah, and, and I think it, you have to understand where he's coming from and what the impetus for that proposal is. Uh, over the next 20 years, worldwide, we're going to lose roughly 40 percent of the jobs as we know them now. So 40 percent of the now employed people. 20 years from now are going to be without a job and technology is advancing so quickly and pushing like so many people out of work so fast it's disruptive to society and it's destabilizing society and so his proposal is throw in a tax that will slow capitalists down from transferring everything over to AI and robotics and all of that sort of stuff so quickly. Yeah, you can still go ahead yeah. and do those things. It's going to come. But it's going it, to cost you. It's going to come. And this is one way to, to slow it down so that the change is not so radical that we've got, uh, you know, 40% unemployment. In, in the, can, you imagine, can you imagine how restive the population would be if half of us were out of work? But then don't you need people to maintain and clean and look after these robots? Yeah, Only but a it'll handful. Be, yeah, that, not very many. Won't, won't be and as a, many, you a don't lot think? Of them, a lot of them be, are being developed to, uh, to self-repair. Oh, okay. So when, they, when there's something wrong, another you know, module from that particular machine will come and replace it or repair it. All right. I didn't want to get off topic. I just wanted to throw that out yeah. there. It's a, like, I, li- I like what you said. It's a big picture look at things, and it, I guess it is kind of scary. So, hey, get your marks up and get into, get into uh, robotics. Get into yeah, clearly, the, that's get the in, answer. Get yeah. into uh, computers. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's what you got to do nowadays, kids. AI for sure. Yeah. yeah. I find it, uh, in one sense, a little rich, I think, from the guy who has led the charge as much as anyone to roboticize and artificial intelligence the world and is now in the point where he's about to retire and he says that when his time comes, he's going to give away all his money and he'll be gone and he doesn't need it anymore. Do you think he's had an epiphany somewhere along the way? 
Perhaps. What did, what did yeah. I do? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, oh, you mean that kind of epiphany? Like, how, any, how any did I affect the world? Suddenly, uh, yeah. What, what, what uh, am I leaving behind here? What good have I done? That sort of thing. Because he, he and his wife, Melinda, they've got this foundation. Yes. Where they're, you know, they're doing... Uh, What's the thing they've called it, where they've been calling around to the other billionaires to say, leave your money. No, honestly, to leave <laughs> yeah, your money yeah. to society. Yeah. Um, but I, it's Philanthropy. A, yeah. That's a really interesting question. I wonder. Now, Steve Jobs is obviously gone because, I, I mean, he, Steve Jobs, Paul Allen, uh, Bill Gates, mm-hmm. they're in the top five or six people who probably you could point to who have really been the most influential humans over the last 25 years. Would you say regarding electronics and just the just how society has changed? Yeah, how they've changed society. And I wonder when when Bill Gates was in his last days. That's a really interesting idea about the epiphany. I wonder if they ever look and go, "What did I do? Like for better or for worse? What have I done? Mm -hmm. Not what have I done, but what have I done? Yeah, that kind of thing. I I want, and I wonder if they ever look and think that the train that they started down the tracks has got going so fast it's almost out of control now. Do you, do you not think somehow though doesn't everything always come full circle? It's going to get back to the point where we're using typewriters? No, not that <laughs> not that ar- archaic, but you you just you want that human touch. You want that human on the phone. You want to be able to go to that teller at the bank. There's one of the industries that's really computerizing things yeah. and and, and yeah, narrowing down. But you want to have that customer interaction face-to-face as opposed to it being a teleprompter. I and think we're getting one, two, away from that every day. I think social media is removing that uh, that connection at a rapid pace. And my, my own kids now, I look at them, they don't seem to have a problem with not having uh, face-to-face contact with some of their friends sometimes for weeks on end because they're, they're texting constantly and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're setting up and it doesn't seem to bother them at all. That's just the way life is these days and they've accepted it. Yeah, Mike, I think you're right. I think we want that and then everything we do after saying, I want more human interaction Drives is to show that we don't want to actually have human. Yeah. We like the concept of it, but then the convenience of, you know, here's the here's the truly... Here's the point of life where truly I, I'm embarrassed to even share this. <laughs> I was in the family room a week or so ago, and my son and I were texting from side. couch to couch because <laughs> the TV show was on, and we didn't want to interrupt the TV show. So rather than actually open our mouth and talk at this volume, yeah, yeah. we were texting. And, and I, it was after about the third text that I thought... Yeah. What is happening? You've been sucked in, Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've texted the kids to come downstairs for dinner more than once. Yeah. I gotta, you know. But there are things about the whole idea of technology that I look at and I think, what did we do before this? Because now we can, if the kids are out and you say, what time are you going to be home? You know, if yeah. you're a concerned parent or whatever, that, that we didn't have that before. That you look at and you go, what, what a fantastic thing that we now have. But then there's the not talking and texting from four feet away. You go. What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. It's such a good news, bad news scenario. Yeah, and, and you know, online is now the social interaction that, that people are becoming more and more used to, as that's the normal course of things. You know, and, and I know we're getting off what your original question was, yeah. but with that said, school systems should really start looking at putting some sort of classes in place mm. that 
t- uh, sh- teach etiquette online, that uh, talk more about the cyberbullying. So all these things, so people are using this thing more constructively as opposed to being a keyboard warrior and a bully in the basement of their home. Yeah, you know, this this whole thing with Bill Gates, I agree with you, by the way, and I, and I had, um, we've talked on the show that the school should do more about money, about teaching people how to budget, how to how to work in the modern economy, all those things. I think schools are, quite frankly, a little bit behind in keep, keeping up with society, honestly. But as far as the Bill Gates thing goes, I am, anyone who listens to this show regularly knows, I am not a proponent of more taxes. No. I am far from a proponent of more taxes. I am the opposite of mm-hmm. more taxes. However, I'm not opposed to taxing at the rate that, or close to it where you might have, you know, if you're going to dump half your workforce and you're going to replace them with a robot, there's got to be some yeah. kind of income tax for the work that robot does. Yeah. Some. You would ho- hope. Some. Yeah, I, I think the thinking behind it, uh, to you know, to try and slow this revolution to a, to a pace that we can maybe handle uh, and absorb as a society. That that kind of thinking isn't necessarily wrong. Um, I think we're going to have to do a lot more thinking uh, about things like that and very, very soon in the future because otherwise this is just going to overtake us completely. And if we do have a 40% unemployment rate, the people better get used to and learn how to grow vegetables in their backyard Absolutely. and farm Absolutely. chickens. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah, that's what's going to be happening. Yeah. Well, marijuana is going to be legal, so there'll just be lots of marijuana farms yeah. everywhere. And get out your hammers and saws and learn how to build mm. stuff again. Just and, don't become know. an addict. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Mike Fortune and Scott Urquhart in studio, brightest panel in Hamilton Radio this evening. Elton John, uh, you haven't heard probably much of Elton John's new music lately. Apparently he came out with a new album. Uh, He is now 69, turns 70 later this month. He uh, brought out an album called Wonderful Crazy Night last year. Either of you hear anything from Wonderful Crazy Night? Not that I know of. Not a note. Well, and see, here's his gripe. Here's where he's upset. Old Elton is upset. He says the reason you did not hear wonderful crazy night is because of ageism american djs will not play the music of more elderly rock stars because they don't like old performers hmm. Hmm. what do the rolling stones have to say about that <laughs> <laughs> it's a valid very valid question and i you know we were talking about victim or being the victim before i'm looking at this going See, I don't see that would be the case. If your music could drive ratings and sell sales, mm-hmm. sell copies, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. You could be a 124-year-old person who was blue with six arms and four eyes, mm-hmm. yeah. and they would put you on the radio. They, they would give you spins more than you could before your head was spinning. So... Again, I haven't heard it. You haven't heard it. Have you I heard, heard any it. of no, it? So we don't even yet. know what we're taught. Is it is it upbeat, slow? I don't know. It's I think it's Elton rapping. <laughs> well, jeez, yeah, go ahead. That and would be Drake interesting. On that that one. would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Scott, you nailed everything right on the head there. And perhaps Elton should look, take a look more inside, and maybe even talk to his record label and his manager and his promotion team and say, "Hey, get this record played a lot more." Well, the other thing though is that you know who to me has really figured it out. The, well, two guys. 
Paul McCartney has come out with some music in recent years, but by and large, and I saw him last summer when he was here, people who listen to this show regularly have heard this story way too often, but it was a highlight. Um, his concert, he played, I think, one new song, but the other three hours were the songs that everybody wants to hear. We, You know what? Sorry, Sir Paul, but you're 73, 74, whatever it is now. Nothing personal, but people want to hear the songs that they grew up listening to of you. They're not interested in your work with Kanye West. Really, truly, they're not. And he has, by and large, grasped that concept. He doesn't show up to a concert and want to play you all of his new stuff. The other guy who has commented on this before is Billy Joel, who says, I haven't put out an album in like 30 years, and yet I'm selling out Madison Square Garden. He's an artist in residence. Mm -hmm. Once a month, every month, he plays Madison Square Garden, and he sells out. Goes everywhere, he sells out. Doesn't play a new song to save his life, and people will show. I think some people get that, you know what, it's okay. This is almost horrible to say. It's okay to rest on your laurels once your laurels are substantial enough. Yeah, maybe true. Um, another guy that popped in my mind as, as we're talking is, is Tom Jones. Mm. Uh, and Tom Jones, I, I happened to see him in Las Vegas, uh, I don't know, eight or ten years ago now. But Do you care to give us a little sample of your Tom Jones? <laughs> Not at all. Thank you. Uh, but he was fabulous, you know. And yes, he did uh, He did a couple of more modern songs. He uh, did... Uh, but were they familiar modern songs? Yeah, yeah. He did a Lenny Kravitz cover that was right. fabulous. But he's know? not doing his own stuff that he wrote last week and is no, trying to no, foist no, no, on no. you. It's no. stuff you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, and, you know, he pulled out the Lila and all of, you know, the yeah. ones you know by heart. Uh, and it was great because he had a ton of energy. And at the time, I I think he was 71. And you would never have known by just seeing him on the stage because he was everywhere. But there's a guy who's, okay, I know what my gig is. I know what my where my end of the pool is. And I'm, you know, just soaking it up as, as much as I can. At 71... Yeah. Were the women in the crowd still throwing absolutely thongs at him, or yeah. were they spanks? <laughs> oh, but that was that's a shtick, right? Yeah, that, and that's what yeah, you, that's what you pay yeah. your your fifty, sixty five bucks, whatever it was, to go see because you want to see the shtick, you want to yeah. see what all the hype was about. And when you have someone like Elton John who comes in, and and if he just went to his old stuff, his classics, he would do the exact same thing. He would sell out everywhere he went because that's and he what still people does. know, and that's yeah. what they want. He still does. I I, I just look at this and I go, wait a second. At a certain point, every one of us, uh, I hope I haven't quite hit this point yet where you realize that all your best work is behind you, but there's a certain point in life when people, that's why we retire, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've you've done what you're supposed to do and it's part of the reason we retire. Or you're just pushed out. Or you're, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true, by a robot. Yeah, yeah you buy yeah, a robot. Buy a robot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the fact, and then you become an addict because yeah. you got nothing to do, so you're drinking yourself crazy. <laughs> but, but the fact is that you know at, at some point too, I think you you have to have a, a, a sense of self awareness that you know what the stuff that I did back when I was younger was great. It was amazing. Elton John's music from back in the '70s and the '80s. Look, I mean, even up to what year did The Lion King come out? That was one of the greatest movie soundtracks mm-hmm. ever, yeah. and that was him. And and at some point, you have to say, you know what? It's okay that my best work was 10 years ago and I'm a little bit older now and and I can and people still want to see it. Right. I mean, you, you were you were on TV. I was a writer. Mike, you're on TV. If people were to say, "You know what? We'd like Scott, we'd like you to just write the same story every day. Just retype the same story." 
Yeah. It's not a great challenge anymore, no, I understand, no. but you really want to read the same story? Okay. And you'll keep paying for and the paper? And you'll keep paying. And, 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 and not only pay, now every year the price goes up. You're going to pay more, more per- more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. If yeah. that's really what you want to have, then fine. That's what they're asking him to do. And maybe the challenge isn't there. Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe that's what every artist struggles with. But we've also gone through a, a couple of generations since Elton John was at his, the height of his fame and popularity. And he, today, kids, you know, who the heck is Elton John? So what you yeah. got to do is you have to be creative, kind of like what Tony Bennett has done. He's, he's teamed himself up with Lady Gaga, and they've put out some duets. Yeah. Just enough to, you know what, we're, I'm going to keep my fan base, but guess what? I'm going to try to open myself up to someone else. And you put Lady Gaga's name on it, and she's singing his style. Mm-hmm. Look what you've just done. Well, that's one Creative other thing. thinking. Uh, it is, absolutely. And the one other thing, too, and Scott, you just said it. How many kids who are 16, 17, 18, 19, who are the music buyers and downloaders of this era are Elton John fans? His style is not the style that is being listened to right no. now. So it doesn't, it can't surprise you. If, if anything, Elton John, I think, and other people who would have this same complaint should look back and say, wait a second, how many artists did I essentially run out of business in the 70s because all of a sudden the kids mm-hmm. loved what I was doing and the people who were the crooners fell out of favor? You know, we all have our time. We all have yeah. our time and, and blaming it on some wishy-washy ism <laughs> for why. It's, it's, it's pretty weak. Yeah. I, I was looking actually today, I saw something about uh, Santana playing uh, at Woodstock. And uh, Santana is still playing today with virtually the same lineup that they had at Woodstock. Hmm. But, you know, you don't hear all that new music. I think Rob Thomas was about the last one who had a, a hit with Santana. But, you know, they're still out there. They're still ma- playing the shows. They're, yeah. they're still busy. And there's nothing wrong with that. And no. And people love all. it. And uh, dollars to donuts. You know, I'm going to throw this in, Scott. If Elvis was still yes. alive, he'd yeah. still he'd be still rocking be out there. to oh, yeah. Hound Dog and Jailhouse Rock yeah. and the ladies would be loving it. At the office the other day, we got to go break. At the office the other day, there was a song we were talking about. I can't remember what song it was. And... The comment was made, you know what, when you hear that, when I hear that song, I actually can smell things from when I was in high school. It's like that song, mm-hmm. and I think it's everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm there wondering are, what you're smelling in your... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but not that kind from of From high school, yeah. There are, some, there, there, <laughs> there are certain songs that when you hear them, they can transport you back to a certain time. And you know what, there is magic in that. Thing. If yeah. you are an artist, I, I the one question that I, if I could interview Paul McCartney and when he came to Hamilton, sadly, we were not able to get him to come in studio. We tried. Um, I want to know. The one thing I, will, I always love asking artists, and he would be the number one person to ask this, what is it like to stand up on stage and hear every single person in the audience sing your song that you wrote mm. back to you? That, to me, I think would be one of the most magical things you could ever do as, a, as an artist, that you touched people, that they have a moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, it's sad that he's upset that his music, that he's, he's griping that his stuff isn't... Relevant he's anymore. Done he's lots. done it all. Yeah. He's, done, he's made those magic moments. That's, that, that should be enough to make you happy. If they don't listen to your new album, who cares? Who cares? He's turned into a grumpy old man. Apparently you know? he cares. So. Apparently he does. Yeah. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.